Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. On your programs, it says Acts chapter 4. Nope, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So as you're getting there, you can use your device as well, but as you're getting there, I want to sort of build up into this thought. There's a movie out, uh, maybe you've seen it, it's called Boys in the Boat. Anybody seen that movie yet? It's a pretty good movie. Uh, it also uh, was a book, it's actually a true life account of uh, nine boys, young uh, men who grew up in the late 1920s, early 1930s, really diverse set of guys that uh, had to overcome many challenges. Actually, the main character, his parents kicked him out of the house to fend for himself because it was the end of the Depression. World War II was just on a very early cusp of uh, igniting. And so things were challenging, but these boys went to college. And even though they were very diverse, diverse circumstances, I'll spoil the whole plot, uh, they were able to join this university rowing team, learn how to unify, and they actually won the gold medal in the Summer Olympics in Germany. It's a great book, great movie, you should watch it. One of the quotes in the book stuck out to me, and so I wanna read it. As, as you think about the power of unity, I want you to imagine this, imagine this uh, picture for a second as I read this. All were merged into one smoothly working machine. They were in fact a poem of motion, a symphony of swinging blades. What mattered more than how hard a man rode was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other fellows were doing. Isn't that a great picture of unity? And in that unity, they accomplished something that was amazing. I want to contrast that with the summer of 2019, my family and I went to a friend's cabin up in northern Michigan, and we were uh, challenged to go on the Sturgeon River. It's the fastest, apparently, it's the fastest river in Michigan, and you can take a raft down this river, and so here's a, a this is not us, but this is sort of the raft that you go down the Sturgeon River. Anybody ever uh, ridden in a raft like this? Yeah, a few of you. You know how you steer that? You don't. So my family and I, who are not expert rafters, but right, we can figure it out, went to the Sturgeon River, uh, got one of those rafts in the, the tour guide. He was not going with us. He's setting up the raft, giving us some tips how to make it down this river, fastest river in Michigan. And he, I remember him uh, chuckling, like laughing a little bit, because he ended it with, uh, hey, you're going to have to pay attention because we've had storms, the river's very high, and we've not had an opportunity to cut the trees back out of the river. Didn't register. Get in the boat, first 15 minutes, it's all chuckles, giggles, right? Things are fun. Ha ha, we're ramming into the side of the river, isn't this fun? Trying to figure out it is not a symphony of blades. Blades of our kayaks are all over the place, right? And so we're in this boat, and about 20 minutes in, we realize this is no longer fun, this is survival, right? We're in the middle of trees, shooting in the middle of trees. One of my sons, I remember this last night, one of my sons was concerned he was going to get decapitated. 
We go about 25 minutes in, and my wife looks at me, and she says, hey, I want to drive because I think I'm a better driver. (laughs) Fine. So I move. She gets in the back, head down the river. And right as, like, first corner after she said that, there was a big tree that we zip in the middle of. Like, we're not bumping up it. We're in the middle of this tree. She grabs it, both hands, her legs are wrapped around the tree. The boat shoots underneath. She's laughing. She's just having the time of her life. We all get dumped out of the boat. The boat, the, everything's going down. So um, <laughs> this is not unity. <laughs> we finally end right after. Uh, it took us, uh, I think, over two hours is the trip. And my son, one of my sons, I, I wrote this down, We were walking up to the car, and he said, I can't believe we even survived. (laughs) Here's the point. At times of challenge, unity is not just important. Sometimes it's critical. You can imagine this, like, even in your own life. It's situations that feel hard. Being unified, you can get through that challenging situation, but when you're not unified and people are pulling in all sorts of different directions, whacking each other with the oars, a hard situation becomes harder than it needs to be. And so we need to be unified. Even scripture reminds us to be in unity. Here's an example. Psalm 133 says it this way. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's, It's just important. Jesus, uh, in this moment of prayer, he's praying for himself, and then he, he begins to pray for the disciples. And then in John 17, he goes on, and he prays for all believers, not just then, but even us. And so in John 17, Jesus is praying. He says, my prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The heartbeat of Jesus, the heartbeat of God the Father is that people would be unified and do great things. We we find an example of this in Acts chapter four. It's just the beginning of the church getting together, but in Acts chapter four, it says all the believers were in one heart, one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that they were, there were no needy persons among them. That's pretty unified. There's power in unity. So why is the world so divided? Why does it seem, and I'm not just talking about the world, why does it seem in some of our closest relationships, even at work or at home with our parents, with a, that things are so sometimes divisive? I'm actually noticing, maybe this is just me, diversity is important, but I am seeing where people's personal beliefs and bandwagons, or celebration of diversity and whatever that means, that people are arguing and celebrating diversity at such a high level, like my diversity is better than your diversity. Unity is 
even farther off than what it was. And I love a diverse population. It's not some white guy up on stage saying we don't need, no, we need to come together in a diverse situation, be unified like God wants us to be unified, but that's not what I'm seeing today. I'm seeing more division, and we have to fight differently for unity. Would you agree? So I want to remind us as we think about that, that we're in this series called Battlegrounds. Life is worth fighting for. And I don't just want to share that unity is worth fighting for. I want to give us some practical things that would help us in a challenging world to be more unified, to make the challenges of life easier to navigate because people that are diverse rally around one another and help one another instead of ripping us apart. And I want to do that by looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2. This, I, I've, been, I've read Philippians a number of times, but I've probably not appreciated it as much as I have the last two weeks because I want to give you some background on, on this city and this church and what was happening. So Paul An apostle planted this church in Philippi. And then he starts hearing about some things that aren't going great. And so he writes them a letter. And just some background. The the people in Philippi were demonstrating a false sense of superiority over others. Some people were not working together with others very well. Members uh, were causing division by their attitudes and actions. They wanted recognition, they wanted distinction, they did not have pure motives, but merely had selfish ambition and pride. I don't know about you, but that sounds somewhat familiar to the world that we live in. It's as if Paul was writing a church that was struggling with the same things that our area our relationships sometimes struggle with. And he he writes this in Philippians chapter two to help people understand unity. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In that text, there are some things that we, that I am learning about unity. And I want to share those, but before I do, let's pray. We pray with me. So, Father, Uh, Many of us are in situations where we would desire more unity, where you would desire more unity, Father, even. So I pray that as we explore this letter, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears so we fight for unity differently. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what I see in the text. You can write this down. Fighting for unity means resetting my focus. Resetting my focus. Imagine for a second, I did this this week. You're living in the city of Philippi. There's pride. There's people who are arguing, saying, you know what? You need to believe this, and it's just a struggle. 
It's even gotten within the church and, and uh, people are divided. And you hear that Paul's going to write a letter. Paul planted a church, right? He's going to write a letter. I just put myself in that situation. I thought, well, finally, Paul is going to tell everybody that I'm right. Paul's going to clear this thing up. He's going to tell. And instead, what Paul writes, instead of saying, this is right, this is wrong, this person's right, he, he begins this section with this. Therefore, if, everybody say if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. It's an interesting uh, verse to start this out with. Normally, when I've read this, I've just, br- I've just blown right past it. And I think the Lord grabbed me and said, no, 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 this is important. If you have any encouragement with being united in Christ, it's an invitation. It should ask us, in the middle of a divided situation where we're not feeling unity, am I united with Christ? Or am I so focused on the problem or the person I can't see clearly? Isn't it easy to get focused on the problem, or is it just me? It's easy. It was even easy for the disciples to get focused on problems. Let me give you another story about some boys on a boat. It's the disciples and Jesus. They had just done some really great things. Jesus was sending the disciples on a boat to the other side of the sea. And so the the boys in the boat get in the boat, they head out, and in the text, says the boys, or the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So imagine this, you've got the disciples in this boat, it's a sailboat probably, they're trying to be unified to get where Jesus told them to go, go to the other side, and so they're in this boat, and the text says that they're buffeted by the waves. It's an interesting word. Buffeted means that you're violently slamming up against these waves over and over again, and you're stalled. I wonder how many of us have been in arguments even recently where it feels like I have had this same argument for the last 20 times, we're not getting past, and you are buffeted again and again and again and making no progress. There's no unity, and that's what the boys in the boat are experiencing. Verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Verse 27 says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It's the first invitation to the disciples, stop looking at the storm and the waves and look at me. Peter, one of the disciples, is in the boat. Some of you know this. And he's like, Jesus, if that's you, call to me, and I'll come out to you. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked in the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid, began to sink. Jesus is inviting not just the boys on the boat. He's inviting Peter, look at me, instead of looking at the thing that you've buffeted against and not made any progress. Shift your focus. So here's a question, I want want you to write it down. What am I focused on? When you're in the middle of a situation where there is no unity, where's your focus go? 
Is your focus on the waves that you've kept buffeting against, or is it on Christ? That's the invitation from Paul in the middle of a divisive situation. Put your focus on Christ first. He goes on, right? In Philippians 2, it says, if you have any encouragement from being united, so you should be united. And he goes on, he says, another question. If any comfort from his love, which should ask us in the middle of a divisive situation, not getting along, not a lot of unity, am I looking for love from, pers- from another person that I hope would sometime agree with my argument and I'm just not finding love there because they're disagreeing with me? And the invitation from Paul is stop looking there. Look at Christ who already loves you and get your affirmation and love from him. It goes on, if any common sharing in the spirit, it's an invitation. Am I partnering with the Holy Spirit or am I partnering with the spirit of this world that is just out to divide us? We need to focus, the whole central theme of this from Paul is focus on Christ. And the benefit of this is when we focus on Jesus, his thoughts, his mind becomes our thoughts. Which is what Paul says. He, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Like-minded doesn't mean like-minded with other people. Like-minded, be, like-minded with Jesus. Am I, at the most challenging situations, like-minded with Christ? Am I partnering with the Holy Spirit? It's at the end of the book of Philippians, I, I find this fascinating. Paul actually calls out two women who were arguing. We don't know what the argument was, what the divide was, but he calls them out and and gives them some interesting information. Look at this, uh, Philippians 4.2. I pleaded with Udiah and I pleaded with that person to be of the same mind in the Lord. He didn't plead to say, hey, Udiah, you're right. No, he said both of you. Be of the same mind of the Lord, and that'll take care of everything. We have to get our focus back on Christ. This is why, just uh, practical thoughts. I'm not perfect at this, but this is why I go to church every week. It's not because I'm on staff. I go to church because I want to know, learn, and worship Jesus. I want his thoughts, which are way better than my thoughts, to be my, right, to enter my brain. It's why during the week we do prayer and worship gatherings. Not many people come, but I come to some of those because for a a specific period of time, sometimes it's only 10 minutes, sometimes it's 90 minutes, I just want to be in the presence of God because the craziness of the day, I need to set that aside and I need to submit myself to God and say, give me your thoughts, It's why I'm in my Bible. I want to learn about God. I'm not perfect at this, but that's how you unify with God in his thoughts. That's how you battle differently than the world battles. So fighting for unity means resetting my focus. The other thing I see in the text when I read Paul's letter is this. Fighting for unity means scrutinizing what I value. You can write that down. Scrutinizing what I value. Paul writes, 
set your focus on Christ first. He, he then goes on and he says this in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I'd like to take us back to the summer of 2019 on the Sturgeon River with the Huffman family and a rubber raft arguing, right? Our blades are all over the place. My wife is saying she's a better driver than I am. I'm not thinking of this verse. But about 50% of the way through the trip, something changed. We came upon this uh, uh, slower part of the river, and there was this sandy bank. Don't think of like a beach, but just this sandy bank. And it was sort of an invitation to stop and rest. It was very nice because we were exhausted. So we got out of the boat, sat down, and uh, we prayed. Don't think of this over-spiritualized, right? It, the prayer was like, God, thanks for keeping us alive. But in that moment, I think we also prayed something like this. God, can you help us? Because this next half can't be like the last half. We got back in the boat, and something shifted. We began to encourage one another, not fight like we had done the first half. Was Ann the better driver? No. Was I the better driver? No. It didn't matter anymore. What mattered was, not that we were right in our own convictions, what mattered was we unified and encouraged one another. That last 50% of the trip was so much better. Was it hard? Yes. But we got through it. We laughed more. We celebrated more. We encouraged more. Here's... Here's what I think. You, you can write this down. Unity is distant when it's all about me. When it's, I'm right, my opinion is right, my preference is right. When it's all about me, unity is not going to come. Which is what Paul writes in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit, this is the definition of vain conceit. It's wise with yourself and your opinion. It's excessive pride. Now, I'm glad at this service, none of you struggle with that, except me. I really, at times, believe that I'm the wisest person in the middle of a problem, where my pride gets in the way of other people's value. I'm just being transparent. I'm sure some of us struggle with that. But here's a... Here's a good scripture, James 3.16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. You have disorder in your life. Things are not as unified as you hoped they would have. I bet if you started peeling the layers back, you would find some selfish ambition. Now, just for clarity, the scripture doesn't say, when it says value others above yourself, it doesn't mean agree with everyone. It doesn't say agree with the other person. You don't have to. So here's, the, here's a big question. Can you value someone and disagree with them? Some of you were like, well, yeah, I can. Think deeply about that for a minute. 
Can you value someone and disagree with them? Jesus did this. There was a disciple, his name was Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. In the scripture it said that Judas would steal from the money bag even before he betrayed him. Yet Jesus invited him to be one of the 12 disciples. Jesus invited Judas to help feed the 5,000. Miraculous day. Jesus invited Judas to go out two by two, sent him out and did miracles. Jesus invited Judas to the Last Supper. At some point, Jesus recognized Judas has value even though I'm disagreeing with him. Can we do the same thing? Because that's what Paul is saying to us. Did did you know that people are way more valuable than the arguments you're having with them? It's a challenging thought because some of us have placed the value of being right way over the other people that are around us. And Paul's inviting us to say, value them more. It's challenging. Paul finishes this section in verse five. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's a tall order. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's, he goes on and he writes three verses of what the mindset of Christ is. But I want, before I read these three verses, I just want to remind you that, remember at the beginning I said it's the heartbeat of God that he would be unified with his people. That you would be unified with God. Well, guess what? Many of us are hard to unify around. We're... we're We're invited to participate with God, but we've got our oar and we're just thrashing it around, doing whatever we want. I remember the first 25 years of my life, I was not a Christian. I was beating people with my oars. And yet, look at this. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's such a desire and value that Jesus has for you and me that he humbled himself and died on a cross so we could be unified. And that's the same mindset that Paul is inviting us to have with the people around us that drive us crazy because they won't unify. And Paul's saying you gotta fight differently. I wanna go back to where I started. We're living in a world where we're being buffeted by arguments and division all around us. And we have to fight for unity differently. We have to fight differently than the world. And so fighting for unity means resetting my focus and scrutinizing what I value. And I want to end a little differently. There's a box. If you have a program, there's a box on your program. You see that? If you don't have a program, I invite you to think about the area of your life that needs more unity, that needs more peace. So if it's online, you're thinking of one. But actually, if you have a program, I want you to write it down because we're gonna do something in a second. So yeah, go ahead, just write down the area of your life that needs more unity.
Thank you for writing, those who are writing. I know some of you are thinking, some of you might be thinking because the area that you need more unity in is the person that you're sitting with. So now that you've written that or you're thinking it, if you've written it down, I want you to put your finger on it. And I'm gonna pray. So Lord, there's many of us in the room or even online that there's an area or areas of our lives that are not filled with the unity that you desire and that we need, that we long for. And so I pray, God, for those areas. I pray that you would help us reset our focus from the arguments that we have been having for way too long, reset our focus on you. Help us to see you in a new perspective. Help us to see your beauty, Lord, to have your thoughts enter our mind. I pray for, uh, maybe it's just a few of you in the room. You need to go to prayer and worship during the week. Maybe it's just once. I don't, I don't know, but it's just a, you need to get in the presence of God and do something different to get his thoughts. Lord, help us value those around us differently. Help us to see in them what you see instead of what we've seen. We need your help in all of that, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.